Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. I want to start by asking you guys this question. Do you ever feel like you can't find God when you need Him? Do you ever feel like you can't find God when you need Him? And as we start this first message on the series of hope, the subtitle to this series is The Bloody Cross and the Empty Grave. Easter is often painted with so many vibrant colors and festivities that we forget how violent of a scene the story was. With this subtitle of The Bloody Cross and the Empty Tomb, I want us to be educated and reminded as a church of how aggressive God's love and actions were for us. We get so passive in our worship that we seemingly forget the passion in the cross. We slowly desensitize ourselves throughout the year. But this month, I want us to scrape away the pretty color gloss. And I want us to knock on our hard hearts so that we can come back to a passionate love and pursuit of God through the remembrance of the cross and the tomb. And today's message is titled, When He's Gone. Look around at somebody and say, when he's gone. I like how you guys space each other out because we have extra chairs today. (laughs) That way it makes the room feel more full up. (laughs) When he's gone. I want to start with this verse. It says in Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 20, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And I want us to think about where God is in our lives right now. I want you to think in your head, do you really feel like you're close to Him? Do you feel like you could be closer? Do you feel like you've been kind of distant? Isn't it funny how we could be going to church and going through all the motions and still be distant with God in our hearts? And this this idea where Jesus is saying, there will be a day when the groom will be taken away and then they'll then they'll fast and i want i want you to ask yourselves if you can feel the difference can you feel it can you feel it when jesus the groom is with you and when he's not with you can you really feel the difference because sometimes it isn't it just like one day we're like man i i think i've been away from god for a long time it's like one day you just have an epiphany so that means that you went through this, this period, a time, where you're distant with, with him and you didn't even realize it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so recognizing the change of when he is with you and when he's not. What are some things that we can gauge by Jesus being with us? His presence, his anointing, his favor. Are things just being like all of a sudden difficult and you don't know why? Maybe it's because God's favor was with you and there's something that's putting a wedge between you and His favor. See, God, God works so many details out in our lives that you can even tell when He's with you by, by 
how you feel when you have when you feel like you do have a peace and when you feel like you just have chaos inside your chest. We can feel it in our workplaces. We can feel it in the things that we do. Have you ever been struggling to do something before you do it and it would just be easy? It just worked out. But now when you're doing it, it's not working. Sometimes it's God's anointing. Sometimes it's favor that's with you and when it's not. And there's, there's these dry times and there's two kinds. There's, the first kind is, is a lot like Samson. Samson. Samson in the Bible was a Nazarite by birth. He was a, a promised child and he became a judge over Israel. And God gave him this supernatural strength to where he would go to battle against the Philistines and just one man would, would put to flight and kill thousands of people. It said when you, when you look at the, the even weights that he would carry, there's a time where it says that he broke out of this place and carried the doors of the city that he carried them over his head like a constant, you know, like doing lunges up a hill (laughs) and it weighed like hundreds and hundreds of pounds, but it says that he just carried it off and it showed that he had this like special anointing with him throughout his entire life. But let me read you all this verse in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. This is at the end of his career. And what happened with Samson is that he fell in love with a girl named Delilah Delilah was paid by the Philistines to betray Samson and find out his weakness so that they could capture him. And Samson didn't see it because he was too infatuated with her. But there's a part where he finally told her, if my hair was cut, then I would no longer have my strength. It's because I've been dedicated to God since my birth and my hair's never been cut. And at this part of the story, she had cut off his hair and says, Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. And at this point in the story, the Philistines came in, gouged out his eyes, took him away in bronze shackles. And the story goes on from there. But I want you to just focus on this part right here. It says that Samson didn't even notice that God's spirit wasn't with him. Why? Why? How could you not notice that? It's because he was desensitized over such a long period of time. You, you ever have those things in your head as a Christian? It's like, well, as long as I don't do this, I'll be fine. Right? Like some people are like, well, I haven't killed nobody, right? <laughs> and I ask people like, uh, do you believe in heaven? You think you'll go? Most people are like, well, I've never killed anyone. It's like, that's your standard? <laughs> As long as you don't do that, you're, you'll make it. But we often desensitize ourselves by saying, well, this isn't that bad. I'll just do this. I'll just do this. It's not that bad. And for Samson, not only was he not supposed to cut his hair, that for him was, was not, as long as I don't do this, as long as I don't cut my hair, I'll be fine. But see, for Nazarites and in, in the Levitical law, they weren't even supposed to touch a dead body or an unclean animal. Well, there's numerous times where Samson not only uh, kills a bunch of people, <laughs> but, but it says that even times where he killed a thousand men with a donkey's jawbone. And so instead of getting like a normal weapon, he, he grabs a dead animal part, which is unclean for him. 
There's another time where he see even before that he sees a dead lion on the road. Or no, I'm, I, he killed the lion. I'm sorry, he killed the lion with his super strength. And when he came back again, he saw this dead lion, and some bees had made a, a a hive inside of the dead lion's carcass, and it was filled with honey. Well, remember. They're not even supposed to touch a dead body. What he does is he scoops the honey out of this dead, filthy animal and eats it. And then he gives some to his parents, too, without telling them where it came from. And see, we can read over something like that and be like, oh, that was weird. <laughs> but when you understand the context that he was actually kind of testing the limits. You ever do that? <laughs> you ever just test the limits? Like, oh, it's not that, that cold over there. <laughs> I can still jump in. And see, he was desensitizing himself over the course of many years. So where even though God's Spirit was with him to use him for a purpose, God's presence wasn't. And it's so easy to think that, that you can just continue to live a life like that, that's just slowly dishonoring God, just slowly desensitizing yourself to God. But you, you won't even notice when God's Spirit is with you and when it's not. And there's a moment where you come to your senses and you're like, God, where are you? Where are you? Where have you been? And all of us who have been there can look back and we can clearly articulate, oh, well, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't been taking this as serious as I used to. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And then there's a, the other... The other kind. There's a there's a times where life just seems great, and we simply neglect the gift of God, just like Mary and Joseph did. It says in Luke chapter two, verses forty three through forty four. It says that Mary and Joseph had to go back to their hometown of Bethlehem for a, a, a census that the king had instituted. Um, and during all this time. There's a, there's a festival going on. They're, they're in their hometown. They were celebrating. It says, after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when, they, when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and their friends. I want you to think about this scenario. One, this... This shows that the Bible is giving historical facts and not, not every single verse is an applicable way to... This, this isn't a, a teaching for you to be uh, not take care of your kids, right? <laughs> Mary and Joseph lost their kids. <laughs> it's showing a piece of history. It doesn't mean like, well, I guess it's okay that we don't keep too tight of a leash. I mean, Mary and Joseph didn't. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is that they had the gift of God with them and they neglected it because of how good life was, how fun the circumstances were at the time. And see, we, we lose sight of God when, when we just stray away on our own. There's other times where it's just it's all in the celebration. We're just, everything's good. And what happens is we treat God like a vending machine and we only go to Him when we need something. And all of a sudden, we're just assuming He's with us because everything's good. And all of a sudden, we're like, wait a minute, like, I don't think I really have God's presence. Like everything's been fine. I haven't necessarily been doing anything wrong, but I've neglected the simple gift of God. 
I've neglected the meaningful uh, birth of Jesus. I've neglected Him being with me, His presence. And I've been satisfied with just my friends and family. Friends and family are great. But you, don't you see here how just the, the circumstances and the surroundings that we just turn off our relationship to God. And, and we often use God as a fueling station. Do you think that that's right? Like, I just need to go and get filled up. I've heard so many Christians say that, like, oh, I just, I feel empty and I need to go get full. Well, even if we're trying to use God for, like, a good purpose, like, oh, I need to feel Him, like, to feel better about myself, to make sure I get fueled up. God, God made a covenant with us. He's not a gas station to where if we ever feel dry, that's the only times we go to Him. It's an indicator for us that we've been distant, yes, but if we only go to Him so that, that we can feel that, that quick fix presence, do y'all really think that that's a, a healthy relationship? Y'all dig what I'm saying? So can you feel it? Can you feel the difference? Can you feel when He's there? Can you feel when He's not? You know, an indicator for me that I heard a, a, a preacher say a long time ago, this dude said that whenever he goes a couple weeks without weeping in God's presence during worship, that he knows his heart is hard. And you ever have those moments where you're just in worship, you don't even know why. It's not that anything's bad in your life. You just, all of a sudden God's presence is, is touching you and you just start crying and you don't even know why. And it's like, you just, it's like God's spirit just, just beckons tears. And it's not tears of sorrow, and it, it's not even always tears of joy. It's just, like, it's just like His presence is so powerful that it shakes our soul. And this dude says, if I go a couple of weeks without weeping in God's presence, like I know that I've, I've desensitized myself. I think that's a pretty good indicator, in my opinion. If, if you're not feeling your heart move in God's presence, you might be desensitized to Him. Y'all dig that? And so, I want you to think about stretching your faith. Can you stretch your faith? Because it's often that when we confine ourselves to the, our normal practice, our normal systems, that we never stretch ourselves for the next step is the times where we get stuck in that desensitized state. And the verses I started with where Jesus is talking about how there will be a day where they will fast when he's gone. He compares his disciples to wineskins. He says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now for me, it took me years to understand this verse. I, I just didn't get, <laughs> like, it just did not correlate with me. I had no idea what Jesus was talking about. But, what, he's referencing these disciples, these brand new believers. The Pharisees have spent their whole life in the practice and worship of God. These disciples just getting started. And Jesus is pretty much telling them, hey, these guys are brand new wineskins. I'm going to start them off with new wine. If I put a mature wine, if I put mature practices into the, these baby wineskins, they're going to burst open. But if I just start them off where they're at, they're going to stretch out on their own. And just their own maturity and their own cultivation, that new wine will be developed. 
and they're going to stretch and stretch and stretch to where they'll be mature. And I want you to think about wherever you are at in your faith. We've all started as brand new wineskins. And the more that we stretch ourselves, the more that we're able to contain. The more that we stretch ourselves in our faith, the more that we're able to contain, the more that we're able to hold. But you know what's interesting about wineskins? I don't know if this is an absolute fact, okay? But I've seen a couple pictures of wineskins. I haven't held one in my hands necessarily. But wineskins are not clear. And they also almost have a mold about them to where they could still look full even when they're empty. Isn't that true? If, if someone messages me is like, actually, it's very obvious that they're empty. It's like, well, just disregard this part. But it still, it still would make sense even if it was wrong, okay? <laughs> because we can also have the capacity for more but still be empty. Y'all dig that? See, a wineskin, wine Jesus using a wineskin to, to describe what the disciples are like. Think about what that means. That means that with a wineskin, you, you pour it out and you fill it up. You pour it out and you fill it up. And I want you to think about the idea of us being like a river. When we receive, we should give out. But if we only intake, we become a swamp. And swamps are stinky, right? And as we stretch ourselves, there's a point where if you're only receiving, you could go, you could go through all the motions and con, you could go through all these podcasts and preachings and you can fill yourself up. But if you do not contribute that part of yourself to the kingdom of God, then it, it starts to stink. And when you actually feel like you're being filled up, you're, you're, you're really actually pouring yourself out. You're being empty. Does that make sense? And there's just a beautiful exchange as we stretch ourselves. And these, when it comes to us, there's devotional practices that we start with in our faith, even if it just is we start by going to church regularly. That's a devotional practice. But as we grow and mature... We have to stretch ourselves, right? So that means that we have to adapt and grow because if you only go to church for years and years and years and you never add on anything, you're going to become dry. Hasn't everyone experienced that before? And you have to start adapting and adding things to your faith. If not, you're going to go back to that dry season. So as we stretch, that means that you have to do some more things. You, you, can't, just, you can't just have a worship uh, worship session at church, you have to start having it at home. You can't just scroll through the radio anymore and hear a song and all of a sudden your day's better. Now you actually have to pray for a little bit for your day to get better. Everyone's done that, right? You turn on the radio, oh, that's just what I needed to hear. <laughs> Everyone's done that. But after a while, it's like you're scanning and looking for the radio station. You get your own playlist like, I, I put shuffle, but the right song's just not coming on. <laughs> Because now you're, 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 going to, you're at a point where you have to stretch. And now instead of just being able to be ministered to by some random song, you're going to have to actually pray to yourself. 
Y'all understand this concept? So, talked about if you can feel the difference. We talked about if you, if you can stretch, if you're willing to stretch yourself. And now, I want to end on this, this idea of can you find him? Do you think that you can find him when it seems like you can't find him? Those moments where we're searching, the moments where we notice and we feel the difference, are we really able to find him? Because everyone here, I know I've been saying a lot today's message, everyone here has had those moments where they notice it and you start searching and you feel like nothing's working. I want you to just answer this question. Do you think if you just keep searching, if you keep pursuing, that you're going to find him? Let me read you all this verse in Mark chapter 14, verse 63 to 65. It says, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. I'm going to stop right here. You know what's about to happen? Is the initial process of Jesus going to the cross. You see, we often read through this part of Scripture. And it seems so simple, right? I mean, Jesus being nailed to the cross is in, what, one verse? And you just read, they're like, oh, and then they nailed Jesus to the cross. And we often neglect the, the depth of what is really happening. Because re- remember, Easter is not about a colorful moment in history. The only color there was blood red. And it is a brutal experience. And I I strongly believe that the lack of willingness on our side, the moments that we, we are not willing to make a change, the moments that our hearts are hard, are the, are the moments that we need a deeper revelation of the cross. There's so many Christians that believe in God, believe in Jesus, but not willing to have a change in their life. And it's because of the lack of revelation of the cross. The cross has become something ordinary. And we're not, we're going to be taking just scripture at a time throughout this month. But I want us to just start here. This is where they, they were questioning him and Jesus says, I am the Son of God. I'm, I'm the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming, and coming on the clouds. You will see me coming on the clouds of heaven. And see, I feel like this is so symbolic when we're trying to find Jesus. He says, you will see me. And it's only after the cross. You will find me, but it's only after you go to the cross. And it says right here, Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him. And they beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. It's so easy to even just read over this verse 
and think that Jesus only took a couple hits. I don't know if you've ever been punched in the face before, but it's not just a, it's not just a wincing pain. It's something that shakes your head. You can get hit in the head to where you feel confused. It makes your whole body feel different. And that, that ringing in your ears. And it says that they blindfolded him as they began to beat him. I want you to think about what that, what that really means. It means that he wasn't even being able to prepare himself for a hit. When you're able to prepare yourself, it's, you're able to take a little bit more. But he's just being pummeled and hit unexpectedly. I, only, I can only imagine them spinning him around, pushing him from side to side, never knowing if it was going to just be a push or a hit in the mouth, a hit over the head. And it says that they were just beating him and beating him. Not knowing, being able to expect which hit was going to come next. And just right here, we can find a brokenness in our hearts. Just right here, there is something for us to take in about what Jesus is willing to do for us. There's something for us to take in of where we can find Him. And I want us to have a really intimate moment right now. I want you all to close your eyes. And I want to read y'all a chapter of the book of Isaiah. This is a prophetic book in the Old Testament that was talking about the promised Messiah. It's talking about the promised Messiah how we could find him, what he would look like, what he would do so that we could know who he was. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth. It's known as one of the most prophetic chapters of the Bible talking about Jesus. And as you sit there with your eyes closed, I I want you to really have a moment. Just take a moment. Even right where you're at, I want you to just think about Jesus in your life. Let the quiet settle in. Isaiah 53 reads, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, equated with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. 
He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. If you're here and you, you need that fresh commitment to Christ, you need to put your heart in His hands your trust in His cross and His resurrection. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. See your hands. And so the first thing I want us to do is have a reaffirmation of our faith. If this is your first time, this is a commitment to Christ. This is a decision to put your trust in Him. And the Bible says in the book of Romans that all, the only place that you have to start is not by getting yourself perfect, but it's by simply engaging in this relationship with Him by the words of your mouth and the love in your heart. So repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in You. You bore my sins. You carried my rebellion all the way to the cross. You were crushed so that I could be made whole. You were whipped so that I could be healed. You are the Son of God. You died on the cross and you rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul.
I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.